0: All right, so this morning, everybody, we are continuing to look at chapter 3. Um, so this is part 2 of a little mini-series that we're doing, what it means to be born, right? What happens when we're born again? What does all this really mean? Why is it necessary? Um, you know, and what are their, like, the results? What are the spiritual and physical results of being born again? So as we saw last week, being born again is a critical part of being a Christian. In fact, I think no one is a Christian really apart from the new birth. One must be born again to even be a Christian. This is what this morning. So there are some who profess to be Christians for one reason or another, but Jesus said, as we will review in our text, that one must be born again to see and enter the kingdom of God. That is why being born again, being born of God, being born from above, right, is so important to us today and to the church. I mean, think about it. Remember, not only us as individuals, we must be born again, but the church's mission is severely impacted if we as professing Christians are not born again. I mean, if those who profess to be Christians are not born of the Spirit, then the world at large will just simply ignore the gospel, right? Because nothing that we say to them will be any different than what they hear anyway, right? What the world says anyway. No one will care because there will be nothing to care about, all right? However, we have a message from God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that is good news for the world, right? Jesus has come into the world to save sinners, to reconcile none other than rebels and enemies of God to Himself through Jesus Christ. Comes in spirit, but also with mercy and love. So, we're talking, what we're talking about this morning is, you know, what I call mission critical. So, this morning we're focusing on the question why being born again is necessary? Why is it necessary? So, we're going to read, open your Bibles, get your Bible app on your phone or your iPad. And let's go to John 3, we're going to read chapters 1, I'm sorry, John 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this morning we're going to really focus on verses 3, 5 and 6. So in these verses Jesus plainly says that one that it unless you were born again you cannot see the kingdom of God nor can enter the Kingdom of God. Note the word can and cannot, right? So this reminds me when I was in elementary school, right? You're in elementary school, you raise your hand, you ask the teacher, teacher, can I go use the restroom? And the teacher says, Brett, I'm sure you can go use the restroom, but I think you need to rephrase your question. And then, of course, I go, okay, teacher, may I go and use the restroom? (laughs) And, you know, so one speaks, and then they say no, right, just hold it, (laughs) you know. Um, So one speaks of ability, right, and the other speaks of permission. So the teacher says, I'm sure you can, but you're not going to, (laughs) right. So, you know, my teacher didn't doubt that I could actually go and use the restroom, but she wanted me to ask permission, right, and so Ability and permission are two different things, right? Ability, can, can. That's important in this text. So Jesus tells Nicodemus here, and plainly he tells us, that unless one is born again, they do not have the ability to see or enter the kingdom of God. So this reminds us of what John said back, remember in chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, John writes this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, right? So no one becomes a child of God through blood, in other words, family or national heritage, right? Oh, I live in a Christian country, so therefore I'm a Christian. Nope, that's not what the, that's not what the scripture says. So not by the will of the flesh. In other words, we don't work our way into the family of God right? Not by the will of man. We don't decide our way into the family of God. We are adopted into the family of God by the work of God. Nothing on our part can get us adopted into the family. God works and then we receive the benefits. Now, even later in John chapter 6, we'll get into this a little later, verses 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's that word again, can no one is able to come to christ unless the father draws that person even the word draw draw means to pull or drag <coughs> excuse me requiring force because of the inertia right we're just sitting here and god's got to like draw drag us in paul writes in romans 8 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in the same way, Jesus says that unless you are born from above, unless you are born of God, born again, born of the Spirit, you are not able to be saved. You can't save yourself. You can't see heaven, and you cannot become adopted by God. So I can see everybody's eyebrows going, what? What? I mean, I can hear you thinking this, but wait, Brett, no, 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 wait, hold on just a second, wait, wait, but I did this when I was a child, right? I said this prayer. Wait, I confessed this. Wait, what? What do you mean someone cannot come to Christ unless God makes them? But remember, I don't write the mail, I just deliver the mail. (laughs) I don't write the message, I just deliver the message, right? So, If you do not have the Spirit of God in you, you cannot please God. You cannot obey God. You cannot come to God. But Jesus said, right, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So next week, Lord willing, I'm going to dive deep into what happens when we're born again. What happens to us when we're born again? I think last week we called that regeneration, right? That was our two-bit, 25-cent, Spiritual term, theological term for the day, regeneration. But this week, we're going to be discussing why it's necessary. Why? Why do I have to be born again, right? I mean, isn't some other remedy sufficient? Can I not just like, oh, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf, right? Or maybe, you know, maybe I'm just going to do some sort of moral improvement. Or better yet, I'm going to go get me a couple of these self-help books, and I'm going to read them, and then I'm just going to be a better person, right? Why is it only this radical, spiritual, supernatural thing called the new birth? It's necessary because we don't have the ability to come to Christ on our own. So this inability is what we call total depravity. There's our other 25-cent theological term this morning, or I call it radical corruption. Radical corruption. So, let's go on a little short journey this morning to find out something about ourselves. All right? We're going to start here in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 5, Paul writes that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Colossians two thirteen, he writes the same thing. We are dead in our trespasses and uncircumcision of our hearts. So Paul describes those who are in the flesh, in other words, who are not not born of the Spirit, we're not saved, he describes us as dead. Dead. Spiritually dead. Oh, sure. I mean, we walk around, right? We walk around, we drive to work, you know, we go to Mizzou games, right? We eat at Dos Primos over here. I mean, we do all kinds of stuff, right? We even put men on the moon. I mean, last week, I think... Who was it? Was it Elon Musk or whatever launched a rocket that's going to take some satellite or whatever to the moon? I don't remember. I mean, we can do all kinds of stuff as human beings, but, but we are spiritually dead. Dead men don't do much. In fact, dead men don't do anything at all. So when I was in Desert Storm, I was a scout reconnaissance platoon leader. Okay, My job was to scout out way ahead of the main body find the enemy, get them to shoot at me, engage the main enemy forces, and I was to hold them in place long enough for our main body to come up and deploy and and take the fight to them. And then I was supposed to stay alive in the process, right? Which fortunately I did in this case. (laughs) So I accomplished the mission against several Iraqi Republican Guard tank divisions, and in what was called the Battle of 73 Easting, just a little line on a map, my unit with others found, engaged, and held the Republican Guard until major armor units could relieve us and assume the fight. All right, the battle was mostly at night. I mean, sometimes it was really intense. Um, but in the morning after the armor forces had pushed these guys way ahead toward Baghdad, my troops and I actually went out and looked at the battlefield. Okay, the scene was Horrifying. Hundreds and hundreds of armored vehicles, tanks, and soldiers, enemy soldiers, littered the area as far as you could see. Charred remains of soldiers slumped out of tank turret hatches. Hundreds of other dead bodies lie scattered around, in and around these blown up and destroyed armored vehicles. Many were black and burnt. All were lifeless. The stench, the smell... If you've ever smelt a burning dead body, it is disgusting. It was gut-wrenching. And the sight of this this utter devastation still sticks in my mind. The, The smells and the whole thing still stick with me today. So this shocking scene is a picture of what we as human beings are spiritually apart from the new birth, the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. To understand the new birth and the work of the Spirit of God, we must first understand something about ourselves, our situation outside of God, outside of the new birth. And this is it. We're spiritually dead But the good news is that we don't have to stay this way. We don't have to stay this way. In Ezekiel, chapter 36, I think God speaks to the prophet. Can these bones live? Of course not. Can those dead people live? But he says, I will put my spirit in you. And in Ezekiel, these bones become alive. They start getting body parts and muscle and sinew and flesh, and they come alive, right? The good news is that we don't have to stay this way. Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 4 writes, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He writes in Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead, dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took our sins, he took our debt, the ledger that said you are completely in the red, he took that and nailed it to the cross, forgiving our sins canceling the debt, which we could never pay. The bad news is that we are dead rotting corpses. The good news is that God regenerates our dead bodies and makes us alive in Christ. So let me go through a couple of several biblical explanations of our condition apart from the new birth, all right? So this will help us understand a little bit about ourselves and why it is necessary for us to be born again. Very quickly, I'm going to go through these. One is, if we're not born again, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We just talked about that, right? But dead means lifeless. Now, not physically dead or morally dead. I mean, right, we walk around, we follow the world, we carry out the body and mind, we're dead spiritually, and we cannot see or act on the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one. Number two, if we are not born again, we are children of wrath. So I'm sorry, we, we're not going to be depressing all morning, <laughs> but we have to understand who we are so that the new birth and the glory of God is just magnificent, right? We can understand that. So if we're not born again, we're children of wrath. Ephesians, again, chapter 2, right, provides us with a summary of who we are apart from the new birth. But verse 3 says, and we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now contrast this description with John, again, 1, 12, and 13, children of God. Children of God, children of wrath. Children of God, children of wrath, right? There are two types of people in the world today, children of God, children of wrath. Apart from the new birth, right, I am my own problem. You're not my problem. My parents aren't my problem. My co-workers aren't my problem, right? My dogs aren't my problem, you know, when they pee on the floor in the morning before I'm trying to get here, you know, they are not my problem. I am my own problem. I'm my main problem. You know, my deeds, no, my circumstances, no, not the people in my life, but the very nature. My very nature is my deepest personal problem. Many people love to quote John 3.16, and we're actually going to get there after Christmas, but what most people don't quote is John 3.18. Most people quote John 3.16, but they don't quote John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. Condemned already. The horrible fact is that all of the human race is already condemned in the sight of God. We are as bad off as we can be. Nobody's ever as bad as they can be, right? We still have people who seem to be good and do good things and we're friendly toward people and all that, but our condition before God is that we are as bad off as we can be. But being born again removes us from being condemned already to being forgiven, adopted, cleansed children of God. So number three, if we're not born again, then we love darkness and hate the light. John 3:19 and 20. We will get to this again a little bit later, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. So there are some people who think that we have human beings like, right, we stand in the middle and God's on one side and the devil's on the other side. And they fight for our soul. Right? And we just kind of pick whichever one we want to go with. Okay, but this verse, among others, says that if we're not children of God, we are not lovers of Christ. We don't love the light of Christ. And we're in darkness. We resist the light outside of the new birth. Okay? Again, there's no middle ground. We are children of light. We're children of darkness. There's no middle ground. So if we are not born again, number four, if we're not born again, then we cannot submit. To God nor please God. And this is tough. I mean, we looked at Romans 8, uh, 7 through 8, and here it is. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this describes a person who is not born again, who is not in the spirit. However, if you keep reading in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, describe a person who is not in the flesh but is in the spirit. And there's a huge contrast between the two, right? Back in John 3, our text in verse 6, right, says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we cannot, we are unable to submit to God, nor are we able to please God without the spirit of God. In fact, in this verse, Roman even tells us someone who is not born again cannot do these things because they're actually spiritual, spiritually hostile to God. The word hostile means at enmity. It means you're an enemy. So we are enemies of God until, right, even while we were yet enemies, Roman says, Christ died for us. He died for us. Being an enemy of God, that's a scary thought to me. I mean, I can understand being an enemy of, you know, the Iraqi Republican Guard. I don't want to be an enemy of God, okay? I, I don't want to do that. And, friends, my heart aches for those who are not born again. I mean, you are, you are on the wrong side here if you're not born again. People are still children of God, and we've got to love people. But we have to love them and pray for them and tell them the truth that their situation outside of being born again and outside of being loved by God is that they're enemies of God. And this is to, this is to me a, just a tough pill to swallow. But I think it shows us that you know, I mean th- there is a there is a need, there's an urgency for us to tell people about the truth. There's an urgency because we don't really love someone if we don't tell them the truth. I mean, a if a doctor said, you know if a doctor finds out I've got cancer and he's like "Ah oh, Brad, don't worry about it just take this Tylenol man you'll be good to go." To me that's not loving I want to know the truth, the hard truth so that I can be cured so if we don't understand the hard truth then we don't really understand the cure and it's, we can't tell people the, the truth of the cure so that's why my heart just I'm sorry, just aches. So number five, if we're not born again, we cannot accept the gospel. First Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And again, this text is hard to swallow. But it very clearly and specifically states that the natural person, somebody born of the flesh and not of the Spirit, is unable to even understand and accept the things of God. And in this context, Paul is talking about the gospel, the word of God, the very Bible. The problem is that the things of God aren't like over my head intellectually. I can read the Bible and, you know, I can read the words, right? The problem is that if we're not born again, we see them as foolish. What? This is just stupid. I've had so many people tell me the Bible is stupid. It makes no sense. Ah, It's just whatever, right? But spiritually, a person is not able to understand and accept the gospel because why? Their hearts are so resistant and hard that they just can't do it. Therefore, they're lost in darkness. The unregenerate person cannot because he will not. His preferences are so strong for sin and so strong, They're just so strong that he cannot choose the good. It's terrible. It's a real and terrible bondage, but it's not an innocent bondage. They choose that themselves. Right? This is where we were. So number six, if we're not born again, we're slaves to sin. Romans 6.17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin... Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Romans 6.19 also reiterates the condition, right? If you are not born again, we're slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. Sin owns you. You were attached to sin in such a way that you can't get free. You're captive. 2 Timothy 2.25-26 2, states this. That basically, if you're not born again, you are ensnared by the devil and you've been captured by the devil to do his will. That's why the new birth is necessary. Because in our natural state, we're enslaved, we're captured, we can't get free. Now, I could go on, but I think you get the point, right? We're radically depraved, we're enslaved to the devil and to sin. We have no ability to help ourselves. Okay, but I don't want to leave you this morning depressed, right? Everybody's like, oh my word, I came to church today, man, this wasn't uplifting, right? So let me end, though, with this. We need to ask ourselves ourselves. Go over briefly, right? Let's, what are the glorious benefits that we acquire from our new birth, right? So these aren't like in any order, but my thought of is all these happen like in the blink of an eye when we're born again. One is that when we're born again, we're regenerated and we're made new. We are made spiritually alive by God. The old bones come to life. Dead, now we're alive. Ephesians 2.4 just, I love this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what? He made us alive. By grace you have been saved. Paul in Colossians 2.14 reiterates the same thing. We're made alive by God. We're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new. We're made new. Number two is that when we're born again, when we're regenerated, faith is given to us as a gift of God. This faith is awakened, and we're united with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul writes that in Ephesians, 1 John. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Right? Note the verse doesn't say you will be. If you believe, you will be born of God. It says, if you believe, you have been born of God. You have been, meaning it's already been done by God. We're regenerated. We're given faith. We exercise the faith through the new birth. We believe, and we become united with Christ. Third is that when we're born again, we are legally set right before God. This is our two-bit word for this morning called justification. This means all of the legal obstacles that prevent us from being accepted by God are removed. And our relationship with God has been restored. Our sins are forgiven. We're set right with God. We have a Now instead of being enemies of God, now we're friends with God. Now we're children of God. Now we're part of the family. Much of the first half of Romans describes our justification. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, this gives me goosebumps. Man, we're at peace with God. We're no longer warring with God. We're at peace with God. We have peace. We have access to God by faith through Christ. We're covered by grace, right? We can't, we don't have to work and work and work and work. Is this enough, God? we got to work some more. Oh, we got to work some more. When is enough? You can't get enough. We're covered by grace, and we have peace with God, and we can rejoice that we have that peace and we have that hope. So fourth is when we're born again, we're adopted into the family of God, right? We've talked about that. But think about this. What a joy it is. Now we're not enslaved by the devil. We're not captive. Now we are free. We are free and we're adopted into the family of God. Finally, when we're born again, we're given a new life so that we may live and love the way Christ intended us to. Galatians 5, 6, Paul talks about faith working through love. He also speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, and this is how we should live, right? We get this new life. We can live like God intended us to. Now we can love one another. Now we can sacrifice for one another. Now we can help one another, right? Now we can support and comfort one another. We can build one another up instead of tearing people down. We can encourage one another. Right? Our life and love will be a magnet to others for the gospel of Christ. So I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. My prayer for us, I think I even posted this on Facebook too. Our prayer for us at Summit Community Church is to be a gospel well that is overflowing with living water that quenches the thirst of this dry land that is without Christ, Right? May we be used by the Spirit of God to grow His kingdom in individual persons as well, you know, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord through discipleship, but also enlarging His kingdom by reaching those who are not born again, being the pipe, the big water pipe, being the conduit through which God's love and power regenerates souls in and around our community through God-honoring worship and the teaching of God's Word. So let's pray.